Good morning, and uh, welcome to the sermon, this part of the service. Uh, today we are jumping into uh, our Tough Questions series in earnest. We technically started off the series last week already, but today is going to be our first actual uh, Tough Question. And you've probably already guessed this, but this series in many ways is going to be different than maybe our standard um, sermons. You know, typically what we would do is we would land on a specific passage or a topic and and we would kind of sit there and we would walk through what does the Bible have to say about this and and uh, and how does that apply to our lives and it would be sort of a um, process of discipling, right? A process of kind of teaching about how do we live our lives in response to what the Bible has to say to us. And uh, there will be some of that here, of course. There's going to be uh, much digging into scripture, uh, and I trust that coming out of these, there is going to be practical application, that there will be things that can change about your life, there will be things that change about your relationship with God and your relationship with the people around you as we go through this. But in many ways, uh, this series is going to skew a little bit more towards um, maybe a discussion or a lecture or something like that where, where we're, where we're look, addressing a specific problem or issue or question and, and exploring it from a few different angles and, and digging into the background of it. Um, so this is stuff, I mean, if you've uh, been watching me preach, you know I really, really enjoy this. Um, this is something that's fun for me. I hope it's going to be fun for you too as we walk through this together. And uh, for those of you uh, who, who like the old way of doing things, the more standard sermon, don't worry, this is a temporary series and we'll be heading back to that. That is the core of what we believe preaching to be. But for this kind of series now, over, over these next weeks, it's going to be a bit more of this sort of uh, digging into the information and the background behind things and trying to answer these questions. So, uh, last week we looked at Jacob. Um, and his story it was sort of this bridge between our Promises of God series and this Tough Questions series. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to help establish a posture or a, uh, a sense of what we are called to do in terms of how we're called to wrestle with God and how we're called to um, approach these sorts of things. Um, and there are a few key points that I wanted to make sure that were in the top of our minds as we head into this series. So the first is that we look at the, the name change that Jacob gets from Jacob uh, to Israel. Uh, and we look at that as God's stamp of approval on wrestling with him. That this is something that God is okay with. That he, that he invites us into this. And more than okay with it, it's maybe something that's aspirational for us. It's something we aspire to. To be people who wrestle. Um, with God and with these important things in life. Uh, God is not scared of that. He invites that. He calls us to that. Um, and more than that, actually, we sort of looked, I talked a bit about my experience being a dad, and there are many other experiences out there very similar, where wrestling is enjoyable. And it's something that we can use to teach and to train and to build trust and relationship and to bond. And so I believe that when we enter into a series like this, with the intention of honoring God, uh, with the intention of listening for his voice in the midst of this, that this is something that God enjoys doing uh, along with us as we kind of walk um, 
this road together. So there are certainly ways, you know, as we look today at the issue of um, scripture, of the Bible, uh, and its place, it's sort of its history and its place today, uh, there are ways in which I could go about that, in which we could go about that, that would not be God-honoring. It's possible to do it that way. But if, if, we're, if we're approaching it with the proper posture um, and asking these uh, questions with the proper heart position, um, then that wrestling is something that I hope is going to draw us closer to our Creator, uh, is going to build that trust and relationship and bring us closer together as a body as well as we explore these things together. So what I want to start by doing is just take a moment uh, to very intentionally invite uh, the Holy Spirit, invite God into this conversation. So let's pray as we begin. God, we recognize that um, these questions are not new to you, that you perfectly know and understand the answers, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, um, and that somehow it's also true that you live inside of us, that as the Holy Spirit, you are here with us for those of us who follow Jesus. And so we ask you to translate. We ask you to work in our hearts. Uh, we ask you to walk with us as we walk this journey. Um, open our hearts towards you and what you have to say to us through this. Uh, let us hear truth um, and let us walk through these things in unity. Um, in your name, amen. So as we get going, I just want to acknowledge uh, right off the bat, this is a massive topic uh, looking at the Bible. It's, it's probably out of all the questions that were asked, um, maybe one of the ones that will be most difficult to cover in the time that we have. There's just, we could easily spend hours and hours kind of digging into the historical background of the Bible and how different translations came about and all these sorts of things. Uh, but we don't have hours and hours. Uh, we have, you know, 25 minutes. And so um, what I want to do for this and then probably also for future uh, series uh, or parts of this series as we go forward is provide uh, some additional resources. So what I'm going to do is after the message, I'll post in our uh, Facebook group um, articles or lectures or videos or, or passages of scripture um, that that sort of enhance or or deepen uh, the conversation here. So if this is something that's interesting to you, if you hear the message and you go, oh, I'd like to know more about that. All I'm doing really here is skimming the surface of a very deep ocean. And so I'll also try and give you the tools to construct yourself a little diving board uh, to jump deeper into this topic if that's something that's interesting to you. I also... Um, want to encourage you to reach out if you have questions or concerns or or things that are you're interested in um, please feel free to get a hold of me I enjoy talking about this stuff and uh, and it's a great opportunity to connect so if you want to sit down for coffee or something like that and dig through some of this this sort of series is a great opportunity to kind of go through some of those things in a deeper way and that can be done one-on-one -on -one, uh, in, in a different way than it can be done in this sort of a forum so encourage you with that as well uh, today is going to be a little bit like, yeah, drinking from a fire hose. It's going to be a lot of information coming fairly quickly. I don't think it's going to be new or ground shaking, but it's a lot of stuff all in one uh, place. So uh, as we dig into this, uh, we're going to try and kind of focus in on two sort of distinct points and explore through those with our morning. The first point is this. The question is sort of what is the nature of the Bible? Uh, did, did, did God write it? Did man write it? 
what was each of those parties involvement um, and maybe also kind of in that looking at uh, is what we're reading today you know the the uh, the NIV is that um, does it really actually bear any resemblance to what was written thousands of years ago you know the New Testament was written you know about 2,000 years ago uh, Old Testament was written 3,000 and more years ago so so does what we have today really truly reflect that uh, the second thing we're going to look at is the authority and the purpose of Scripture. So there's the construction of the Bible, but then there's the place that it has in our lives. What is the purpose of this book? What value does it hold? What authority does it hold over me and you as Christians, if any? Um, what is uh, the place that it has in our lives and how significant should it be in terms of our Christian journey? How important is it to us? So that's the roadmap. Those are kind of the two different pieces. And this is the sort of sermon where... I especially feel that distance um, between me and you. This is the sort of sermon that I would love to be preaching in a church where, where verbal or nonverbal, there could be a response and there could be communication and I could see in your eyes whether, yep, this is something I totally agree with, whether you're a little bit unsure about something, you'd want to dig into it a little bit more. Um, but of course, uh, the, the feedback I get is a uh, blinking green light here on my laptop. So... So it's one of those things where I, I feel that distance a little bit deeper. But once again, want to encourage you to please feel free to reach out, um, to comment, to, to uh, interact with this in whatever way you're able uh, as we go through this and other, uh, other messages in this series. But that is, uh, yeah, the roadmap that we're going to be heading on for the morning. So first, we want to start with the nature of the Bible, the nature of Scripture. Um, and as we dig into this, I want to just right at the beginning um, get one thing out of the way. Uh, the Bible is old. It's really old. It's thousands of years old. It's written, you know, originally in another language, in, in several languages, in both Hebrew and Greek. And uh, it's this ancient series of, of texts. And, and that's unique, right? That we don't have other books. I assume that you don't have a lot of other books in your life that you're referring to on a daily or weekly or yearly basis uh, that has that sort of a context or a history. Um, it's a very, very strange thing, right? To the outsider looking in, the idea of taking this ancient Middle Eastern manuscript and using it to govern our day-to-day -day lives in today's culture, uh, it's understandably a little bit uh, confusing, a little bit wacky. And, and uh, you know, not only is it a bit strange, uh, there are also legitimate questions raised. Uh, from people outside of our traditions going, how do we know that what you're reading today, that what we read today bears any resemblance to what Moses or Paul or Luke or John or the prophets or whoever or David wrote down originally? How do we know that there's any actual connection there, that it hasn't been distorted and twisted and misinterpreted uh, and edited over the years, uh, intentionally or unintentionally? There is uh, an, a joke um, I feel like I've told it in a sermon before, but I did a quick look through my notes and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm telling it again. It's a good joke uh, about a about a monk who joins a monastery. He's a new recruit there. And and uh, this monastery, they're kind of a specialized group of men. What they do is they are scribes. Everyone in there is a scribe and they're all retranslating and retranslating or not retranslating rather, but recopying the Bible and this monk is getting a tour by an abbot and the abbot's talking about the care that they take and 
and the sort of the processes and procedures that they have in order to make sure that everything is transcribed uh, perfectly from copy to copy. And uh, the new recruit asks, so you're copying, I assume, from the original manuscript? And this abbot goes, no, no, no. Uh, it's far too valuable to be copied from directly. We have it stored in the basement. You know, it's climate controlled, humidity controlled, uh, away from anything that could damage it because we want to keep it safe. And this new recruit is concerned and goes, uh, well, doesn't that mean that it's possible that there are mistakes that you're not catching because you're just working off of a copy of a copy? And this abbot uh, says, no, 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 that's impossible. But he looks a little bit uh, nervous uh, as he says it. And that night, the first night that that new recruit is there, as they're sleeping, about three in the morning, they hear this wail come up from the, from the basement, this sort of sobbing, crying um, noise. And so the monks rush down to see what could be going on here. And they, they run down into this back chamber. And here they see the abbot sitting with the original manuscript in his lap, uh, just crying and crying and crying and they go what's wrong what's wrong and and this abbot through his tears says it says celebrate celebrate so to get the issue of accuracy out of the way uh, the bible is from a purely academic standpoint uh, a, a miraculous book uh, just in terms of the accuracy of it we have the new testament manuscripts um, dating well back into the 6th century, just a few hundred years uh, after they were originally written. Uh, and by historical standards, that's incredible. Um, and we can refer back to this set in its entirety and see that nothing of substance has changed in our modern translations. And with the Old Testament, uh, again, there's really, really good documentation till back around the 9th century. And in the 9th century, there's this sort of group of scrolls that's been assembled called the Masoretic texts that are that have been the reference point for a long time and uh, compared to other ancient texts again we have very very good record but one of the really special things about the old testament is that in the 40s or 50s uh, by the dead sea they found a bunch of caves with all these scrolls in them called the dead sea scrolls so some of you may have heard of those and what's hugely significant about them is when they were dated uh, the archaeologists got at them they figured they were about a thousand years or more older than our current reference point, these Masoretic uh, texts. And that was hugely controversial because um, the academic community expected that when we got into those scrolls, what we would find is now we see how everything has changed uh, from early on. And what they found instead was remarkable pinpoint accuracy. There were little changes here and there. There were spelling errors or slight word changes. There were sort of human things that worked their way in, but nothing that affected the meaning or substance of the books. It's really, really a remarkable thing. And compared to any other historical documents dating back to that sort of time period, the Bible is totally unparalleled in terms of how well we can trace um, what has or hasn't changed through the years and how well we can trust that we're getting the sort of unfiltered original meaning of these books. It's an incredible thing. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, some of you, I imagine, are familiar um, with, a, with an artist uh, named M.C. Escher. Uh, I went through a period of time, maybe it was around junior high, where I was uh, a little bit obsessed with Escher. I think we had an Escher uh, coffee, coffee table book, maybe, or, or just a, 
a book somewhere of his of his drawings and and he loved to play with these kind of paradoxical illustrations he played with perspective and different things in order to create images that sort of were both real and unreal at the same time probably his most famous um drawing is this uh this never-ending staircase a staircase that just continues and continues i'll put a picture of it up in the sermon um this sort of thing that looks real uh, but but at the same time couldn't possibly exist and one of his um drawings his pieces of art it was called drawing hands and i actually remember in grade eight my grade eight homeroom the, this poster hung right close to my desk someone had well the teacher i'm sure had posted this poster of drawing hands and um i remember being yeah kind of captured by it it just tickled my brain in the right way uh this image of these two hands that were sort of both drawing each other into existence and i just i enjoyed it um and when i was doing my research for this message uh, one of the things that i stumbled across was was a a lecture by a guy named tim mackey he's a part of the bible project i've sent bible project links before for summaries of books and things but he talks about the how the bible was put together it's one of those resources that i'm going to link for you it's a very very good talk it's about two hours long um and he really gets into it but he uses this mc escher drawing hands painting as a reference to kind of speak about the nature uh, of the bible um so looking at that image we ask the question is the bible written by man or is the bible written by god and the answer is well, yes both and that's probably uh obvious to you in some ways uh you're maybe not feeling that that's a groundbreaking observation but the fact is is that most of our difficulties with understanding the bible most of the tension tensions uh, that we have about scripture come when we start to try and remove uh, one of those hands when we try and take one of the hands away and modern christianity i'm talking modern as in the last uh, couple hundred years of christianity uh, has sometimes made a big mistake in trying to remove the human hand uh, and that and, and that way that we think about the bible it's sort of making it seem like the extent of human involvement in the bible was really that they were simply conduits for god that that they might have been holding the pen or holding the quill or 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 or, or even speaking to the scribe but that their personality was taken out of it that essentially this is just god's word direct to humankind with no other real involvement um and that's a really dangerous position to take because if we think of uh, the Bible as God's direct and unfiltered word to us with no human involvement, then what happens is we start to dig into things and we start to see the history of the Bible. And we start to see some of these books and the way things are written. And inevitably, we're going to co come across something that feels too human um, to be explained by that sort of a theory of the one hand writing scripture. And and uh, the house of cards can fall over right it can blow over with a, with a wind because if we hold too tightly to this idea of just god being involved with the bible um in any meaningful way then then we start to run into issues um the history of the bible itself is kind of um riddled with with sort of human things that happen right the fact is that even when we look at the bible as it exists now um, not everyone agrees on what goes in the Bible, right? The Catholic Bible has books that our Bible doesn't have. And there are Orthodox churches in Africa and in Asia that have as many as nine additional books uh, in the Bible 
uh, compared to our canon. Uh, additionally, uh, you hear stories sometimes about things like, for example, Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, this break away from the Catholic Church about 500 years ago, uh, famously believed that, that James could probably be taken out of the Bible, that it was an unhelpful book, that it kind of pushed people in the wrong direction, away from the idea of, of only faith uh, in Jesus Christ um, being our saving grace. It focused too much on works, he thought. Um, so the, the history of the Bible itself has some of those uh, sorts of things in it which feel very, very human. Um, another example is, of course, the writers of the Bible themselves. We see humanness popping up all over the place. One of my favorite examples is in 1 Corinthians, uh, when Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth uh, about baptism, and he's talking, they're, they're, they're dividing because they're kind of arguing over, they're forming into sects based on who got baptized by who. And, um, and Paul is speaking to them about this, and, and he says, he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And then he kind of moves on. But my point is, and he, and he heads out into the rest of the, the chapter there. He kind of continues his way on in the book. But we can feel the human gears in Paul's head um, turning. We can imagine the scribe that he was talking to just listening to him talk and kind of furrowing his brow as this gets written down. The Bible is a human book. Uh, and for some of you listening, that's maybe an uncomfortable thing to process. But it shouldn't be scary or controversial to us. Uh, it's written by people for people. Um, and then retranslated by other people and then placed into the hands of other people like you and me who are who are reading it and translating it ourselves. There are human fingerprints all over this book at every stage. Uh, in fact, the reason that there are dozens of different English translations of the Bible is that distinctly human side of things. Uh, scholars are constantly referring back to these original source texts. And then as culture changes and as language changes, they're trying to communicate those original ideas in a way that connects with today. Uh, for example, I have a dual translation Bible. I uh, don't have it here with me. This is my NIV, but I have, uh, it's, it's probably my main devotional Bible. I like to see these two things stacked up next to each other. I have an NASB uh, version, and the North American Standard Bible is probably the most conservative translation. That is to say, it tries its hardest to stick to a word-for-word translation that the literal meaning of these words in the original Hebrew or in the original Greek being brought over into this English translation. So it's not very fun to read exactly, um, but it but it sticks incredibly close to the original language of the Bible. And then I have on the other column, the message, which doesn't even claim to be a translation. It, they call, it calls itself a paraphrase of the Bible because it's kind of a thought for thought sort of reimagining of scripture it sort of grabs onto the poetry of the ideas and 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 rewrites it in kind of a new and fresh way and so there's these two extremes right next to each other i, I find that very interesting um, to compare the two and then of course there's everything in between right dozens of translations the niv uh, which many of you, I think, will be your Bible is the NIV, is popular because it really splits the difference. It's right in the middle between kind of, it's readable, but it also tries very hard to stick to um, the original intention of the language. 
so it kind of hits that balance really nicely. But the point is this. Uh, all these different Bibles, oh, and then you've got study Bibles on top of that, of course, which give you all sorts of footnotes and extras and references and maps and all these different things in order to try and enhance the content of the Bible. So the Bible in general, as we read it today, has all this humanness in it. Um, but my belief is that when we look at those translations and that sort of thing, um, that is that is a natural continuation of the humanness of the Bible as we see it, even from when it was being written. Um, and it's important to remember that. And it's also important to recognize that that humanness does nothing to discredit or take away from the other hand that is at work here, because the Bible is also fully divine. It's God-inspired. It's God-breathed. It would be just as dangerous to mistake or to remove God's hand uh, from the process. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is maybe the most well-known ver verse, well-known sort of proof of the divine power of the Bible uh, that's out there, right? Uh, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Uh, and in 2 Peter, Peter uh, has a lot to say about this too, about the value of, or how God speaks through people um, to get his points across. In 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 21, he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God has an active role in this. In many ways, I, I think of the Bible in, in the same way that I think of Jesus. So Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. And over the years, people have tried to twist that or warp it in one direction or the other, right? People will say, um, you know, different different sort of groups have gone, well, he was mostly God. He was maybe a little bit human, but he can't have been too human because that would negate the fact that he was God It's if he was too human. Or maybe he was fully God and he wasn't human at all and he was just kind of God pretending to be a human. Uh, or other people, of course, many people today would go, Jesus was a smart guy. He was human. Uh, maybe he had a little bit of extra of God in him. Maybe he had a special connection with the divine or something, but he was generally a human. But you cannot take away one side or the other and still understand who Jesus is. The Gospels make it fully clear. Jesus was at the same time fully human and fully God. Uh, both of those things in full completion together. It's not even a 50-50 split. It's a hundred, a hundred. He was both of those things completely at the same time. And so we believe the same thing about scripture. We believe that the Bible is a hundred, a hundred. It's a hundred percent God. It's a hundred percent human. And somehow both those things exist together. Every word in this book is fully human and fully inspired. We can't separate the two. We can't say, oh, well, this piece is Matthew talking, and then this piece is God talking, and, and try and split it, uh, because that split is against the nature of what we believe the Bible to be. Let's take a breath. That's all well and good, what I've said. The Bible's maintained its accuracy through the years, and theologically, we believe that it's written by both God and man, and both of those parts are essential for us understanding it. But for someone who's not sure about this book in general, uh, for someone who's skeptical of the value of it here today, nothing I've said so far probably has been very convincing. Uh, odds are um, some of you today are listening and wrestling with this. You know, what does the Bible really have to say to me? What, what authority should it have in my life? 
Uh, and if you aren't wrestling, then certainly you have friends who are, or you have coworkers who are, or family who are, or people in your life who are asking these questions, who are trying to understand. It's all very well if you can prove that it's accurate, that it hasn't changed over 2,000 years. But if it was you know, nonsense 2,000 years ago, then it's still nonsense now. Um, so how do we address that or work with that? What is our view of the Bible's place in today's culture? And to that I say, it starts and it ends with Jesus. So with the rest of our time, uh, I want to look at that. First, it starts with Jesus. The world, for all the ways in which it seems to be stepping away from the Bible, stepping away from Christianity, from organized religion, people are still drawn to Jesus. There's a famous quote, I'm sure it's been said by many people, I feel like maybe I heard one of the Beatles say it or something, I can't remember who said it, but it goes something like, I love Jesus, it's his fan club, I can't stand. People take issue with Christianity, um, and Christians, the church, have messed things up horribly over the years in lots of different ways. There's, there's good reason for some people to have negative experience or negative thoughts towards the church, but people even those who have been burned by the church, even those who have been burned by religion, uh, oftentimes still look at Jesus and, and have an appreciation or an admiration or a connection to uh, this person. They can take issue with the rigidity of the difference in worldview. They can take issue with our sexual ethics. They can take issue with the emphasis we place on value of life at the uh, beginning and end of life. Um, but they still love Jesus, or at least they find Jesus appealing. Uh, and importantly, it's true that that in a much more concrete and tangible way than, say, the Garden of Eden or Noah's boat or the Ten Plagues or Jonah and the whale, um, we can we can prove fairly easily that Jesus existed. Uh, Christian and non-Christian historians alike uh, agree that Jesus lived and breathed. Um, and walked and taught and was crucified. There are lots of non-biblical sources from around that time that support that truth, that Jesus was a historical figure who lived in time at the place and the time that the Bible says he did, that he taught, that he gathered up a bit of a following, that he ticked off the religious uh, sort of system at that time for claiming that he was the Son of God and that he was crucified for that. And so when we are talking about what to believe about how we think about belief this is a clear starting point uh, Jesus lived and he died and now as to the true nature of Jesus right the virgin birth and his resurrection and his deity now there's more um, obviously contention and discussion and debate around those sorts of things in the academic world uh, but C.S. Lewis uh, sums up the argument here I think beautifully in his book Mere Christianity and you may have heard this before. Uh, it's been pretty popular over the years, uh, in which case it's worth hearing again, I think, or it may be new to you, uh, in which case, listen carefully. This is a beautiful kind of logical, rational walkthrough of why we can or should trust Jesus, or at least why that choice is placed in front of us in such a specific way. So this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
at the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So if Jesus existed, which he did, it's not up for debate. He's probably a smart man worth listening to. And if he is who he says he is, our Lord and Savior, someone to be worshipped and followed and emulated, someone who we model our life around, then it follows that our view of Scripture should be informed by his view of Scripture. And we see Jesus teach and speak, and it very quickly becomes clear in the New Testament that Jesus valued the Scriptures. He had huge portions of Scripture memorized. He consistently referred to the Old Testament prophets and those stories and uh, different pieces of the Old Testament as sources of authority and wisdom. He used it to make points. He never undermined or belittled the power or the authority or the God-inspired nature of the Bible. Um, he did often belittle or undermine or attack people's interpretation of those words, but the words themselves, as far as we see Jesus um, behaving and teaching the words themselves were divinely inspired from God and useful for the things that Paul says to Timothy that they were useful for. Now, to be clear, I believe that as we spend time in the Bible, as we read and study and dig in, it becomes self-evident that it's a powerful and, and significant book um, that is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Um, and, and for you to develop a connection with Scripture, just like uh, anything that you want to become good at, a skill or a hobby or a relationship, uh, it takes time and energy. And I believe that that time and energy that you invest into Scripture is rewarded a hundredfold. It's a hugely rewarding, valuable thing. Um, but if you're looking for a reason to climb onto the diving board, if you're trying to understand why bother at all, to me the simplest answer, the simplest starting place is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus um, and how he thought about Scripture. We believe that Jesus is the clearest picture of who we have, uh, the clearest picture we have of who God is, and is also the clearest example of who we are to follow as the perfect human. And so what was important to Jesus should be important to us. And he memorized, interacted with, built upon, and honored um, the Bible. Now, Jesus didn't ever quote the New Testament, of course, because he lived the New Testament. The New Testament is uh, written in the sort of 60 to 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, but here, too, we lean on Jesus for his authority. Jesus commissioned the apostles to be his spokespeople after his ascension. And the books and the letters and the gospels that make up the New Testament came directly into being through either the hands of these men or through people who were close with them and will have received sort of oversight um, and wisdom from these relationships. They'll have been the context of close relationship with the apostles. So Luke, for example, um, would be one of those who uh, was not an apostle himself, but wrote it in the context of close relationship with these people. So we believe 
that these books were written by those who were specifically called by God to speak to the churches about the gospel, about the good news of Christ. And so we can trust the Old Testament because Jesus trusted the Old Testament, and we can trust the New Testament because it is a remarkably well-preserved document written by those who God gave special authority to teach. And that leaves one question left, really, which is what's the purpose uh, of the Bible? Why does it exist? Uh, something I've become more and more convinced of over the years is that while I hold as high a view of Scripture as I ever have, um, my view of Jesus has only gotten higher and higher. Oh, and what I mean to say is this. Uh, there have been times in my life, and I've certainly seen it around me um, in, in other churches or in other things, um, that the Bible has almost become like God. It becomes this thing that is almost um, in danger of being uh, an idol, something that uh, is worshipped or loved in the way that I worship or love God. And the Bible is significant to us. In fact, that's understating it. The Bible is essential to our understanding of who God is, to our understanding of the story of redemption, uh, restoration, reconciliation that he is telling uh, through the ages from the very beginning. And it's essential for us to understand our place in that story. Um, but just like I said, it starts with Jesus. It also ends with Jesus. The Bible is only useful. It only has purpose. It only fulfills what it is meant for if it is drawing us towards our creator. The, the, the written word's purpose is to draw us into relationship with the living word. The living word that Catherine spoke about as she read those verses from John. God is our revelation. Jesus is that revelation. He is the example that we follow. He is who we build ourselves up on. Um, it's possible, in fact, to love the Bible, to know the Bible, and to use the Bible, uh, and to completely miss the point. Jesus says this himself. He says, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. To put it another way, the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. It isn't. It can't hold that weight. It wasn't designed to bear the weight of being the foundation of why we believe in Jesus, the foundation of our relationship with God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, that our foundation is the one already laid, is Christ Jesus. And Peter says in 1 Peter uh, 2, verse 6 to 7, that Christ is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. The Bible itself agrees with me. Our belief is not in the Bible. It's in Jesus. And the Bible is a divinely inspired tool that we have to point our way towards Christ. Uh, Greg Boyd writes that we do not relate to a book or a list of doctrines that are rooted in that book. We relate to, and our faith is founded upon, Christ and his love for us. Participating in that love that is Christ-centered is the end to which all beliefs about the Bible point. The relationship is what gives significance to everything else the Bible teaches. So let's take another breath. Let's turn off the fire hose and very quickly recap. 
Why can we trust the Bible? Because it's got unmatched historical accuracy, because Jesus trusted and valued the Old Testament, because Jesus commissioned those who wrote the New Testament and spread the gospel message. Was the Bible written by God or by man? Yes. Yes and amen. Uh, just like Jesus himself, the Bible is fully God and fully human. And to remove either of those truths, to remove either of those hands from the equation, is to misunderstand the Bible uh, and to set yourself up for frustration um, and misinterpretation as you read. Third, what is the purpose of the Bible? The Bible isn't an idol. The Bible isn't a fourth member of the Trinity. Uh, the Bible isn't something that we should be worshipping. The Bible is a tool, a God-given, God-inspired tool that points us towards the living word, Jesus. The foundation of our faith. So, as we close, again, if this is something that you're interested in digging into more, if uh, something I said hit you just right or, or hit you just wrong, uh, I, I want to have that dialogue and that conversation. So please feel free to reach out. Love to sit down for coffee. I love to dig more into these things. Again, I'll be posting some resources, some of the resources I used uh, to help build out this sermon um, for those of you who are interested in digging a little further into this. And I look forward to continuing to wrestle together with you uh, in the God-honoring way I trust. And as we do this, my prayer is that we'll be drawn closer to God and closer to each other. Uh, through this series. God bless. Amen.